the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Ladies and gentlemen, it is Friday. Brian has been dancing. My day, baby. Oh, my gosh. My day. Can you claim the whole day is yours? Uh, I am right now. I will say, if there's anyone that deserves to have it, it's you. Thank you. you. You've earned Friday. Thank you. I'd like to thank the Academy. <laughs> so who do I have to talk to? I remember, actually, this is not at all what we're going to talk about, but when I was in fourth grade, uh, I wrote... A research paper, and my whole case was why we need to do away do away with school on Fridays. Oh, I said the homeschool guy. <laughs> I wasn't homeschooled oh, yet. Okay. Wasn't, this was the, probably the last year I was public school. Now that I'm thinking about it, what was the uh, reasoning? Oh, I I you have don't no remember. idea. No, okay. I'm sure I was like trying to make the case about family bonding time or something or space for religious freedom. I have no space for religious freedom. I have a very weird 11-year-old. Anywho, uh, (laughs) you can find us all over the World Wide Web on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. There we post articles and stories. Some we talk about here, some we don't. Uh, That's a good place to kind of keep up with us. You can also find us on Twitter at Common Good Talk. You can call us 312-660-2594. Or at 1160hope.com slash the common good. And uh, we mention it most every day. But if you're a podcaster, uh, any likes, subscriptions, or reviews, that all really helps us out. And if you hit that share button or post it online somewhere, this episode or this issue or this article or whatever, uh, we're still kind of new at all this. So that really does kind of help us get the word out. And uh, we would be eternally grateful for any help that you could lend us. All right. So, first thing I want to talk about, and Brian and I are both pastors, we mentioned that ad nauseum. But we're interested in not only the church and uh, faith and theology, but also what's sort of the future of those things. There's a guy that uh, I respect a lot. Name is Michael Frost. He is an Aussie. So uh, you say that like apologetically. (laughs) I want to say it because some of what he's observing is, you know, in his uh, in his specific context. So he I don't know how he writes as often as he does, but uh, really great author and communicator and preacher and thinker or whatever. He wrote. Uh, an article at his website, MikeFrost.net, says new kinds of churches really yep. are the hope of the future. What's going on here? Yeah, and you and I have both heard Michael Frost speak many times, and I, putting this out there, there's not a more engaging speaker. He's on he's on the short list of most engaging he's people unreal. to sit in a room. He's Exponential. Unreal. I remember sitting at the Exponential Conference in like a breakout, and you could tell people knew he was speaking. So it was a big room, but it was wall to wall. Yeah, I, I don't doubt it. And I don't think there was a note, and he just went and... It was the most captivating. Anyway, I would encourage you to go MikeFrost.net, and you can find these articles. He's also doing a lot of work on, you know, the future of Christendom, the future of the church. What's it look like? And as you said, he posted a blog called New Kinds of Churches Really Are the Hope of the Future. And he's talking about in his home country of Australia, uh, and he's saying basically— he uses these two different churches, uh, diocese, the Diocese of Sydney uh, that is uh, declining uh, and the Diocese of Leicester in the, in the UK, 
which reported new forms of church attract thousands of worshipers. And so he's saying uh, the one that is stuck in doing church, how it's always been and supposed to be is declining. The one that's innovating and doing other things uh, is is uh, is growing, and he's saying basically you can bring these against each other, hmm. uh, and so he ends the article by basically saying, "I've been writing for a long time that the hope for the church in the West is to release and sustain fresh new expressions of the church. I've seen many such churches get started and not survive. I've often been criticized for fostering an unsustainable movement, but I'm beginning to think the tide." Is turning, and then his other article in response to he said a lot of that he was he a lot of response he got to the first one is called dinner church anyone, uh, and he says that a lot of people were telling him when he was asking uh, what's God up to they say have we told you about the dinner church movement and it's he lists all of these churches that are basically just large meals right so the one that started at Brook in Brooklyn was the original dinner church. Uh, where people just share a big meal, they explore scripture together, sing and pray, sharing a meal. And he's basically positing that um, that maybe these fresh expressions of the church uh, are the future of the church versus kind of being these offshoots that they are now. I think we'd probably say, right, they're kind of out there on the fringes. He's saying these are the ones that are that are reaching people and doing the work. So he talks about micro churches and the and the rise of missional communities and all of these things. And I got to be honest, like it's fascinating to read this stuff. And also not just as a pastor, but I'm really somebody who's never really at the front end of change. Like there's some people who are like change, change, change. Like let's keep tinkering and let's that's not really my personality. And so when I read these, like I'm always like, really? Like is this is this the future? Uh, or are these just kind of offshoots? What is this going to be? So a fascinating article. I'm wondering what you think uh, when he when he basically says new kinds of churches are the hope of the future. I, I think that's honestly always been the case. I yeah, think with every generation we've seen, that's that's what is easy to forget that for a lot of us, what's passe now was at one point cutting edge. That's mm. always true. Some kid proposed somewhere Hey, what if we projected these words and everyone yeah. thought that's nah, satanic? There's no. If you want to go to hell, yeah, right? That's anti-biblical. <laughs> the you know the disciples didn't have overhead transparencies. There's there's no way that we'll ever you know. And then at some point, somebody proposed. Hey, what if people could like give their tithe digitally? Oh uh, my goodness! I mean, all, a lot of the ideas that are almost normative to us now yeah. were at one point cutting edge, and even before they were cutting edge, they were probably in some circles sacrilegious. Yep. Same with. Yep. instrumentation same with um i mean all kinds of different theological issues we could we could run the list down but i think yep. fresh expressions is actually a pretty good phrase and i'd encourage you to read the two articles because the one in particular where he's actually giving some stats about not only the levels of growth which is often the question that people want to ask yep. right like are these things actually bearing fruit which that as our main metric is a whole other conversation mm-hmm. but I don't think fresh expressions of what it means to be the ecclesia is actually even a new thing. I think the the church has consistently over the centuries uh, done that. And I think any leader unwilling to at least be open to the possibility of what those look like. I think it's Andy Stanley. He said the next generation idea will never come from the previous generation. Mm, ever. And yeah. it usually follows it up by saying something like you can either fight it or you can fund it. So mm-hmm. he's he's saying this as somebody who's like, I've been doing this a while. Yeah. There's ideas that are pitched by some of our younger staff that in my gut, I'm like, that'll never work. <laughs> That's a dumb idea. But he remembers enough yeah. to know when he was that punk kid yeah. proposing stuff that he felt like deep in his bones that somebody, you know, said, all right, we'll give it a shot. What for you is, and this might be too hard of a question or when you need more time to think about, but what's throwing the baby out with the bathwater? What's going too far? 
for you when it comes, or maybe maybe asking it more positively, what still needs to be there uh, in order for you to feel comfortable? Be like, that's a new but also legitimate, if you will, expression of the church. What what needs there for you? Uh, for me, yeah, honestly, it kind of all comes down to Acts two forty two. Okay, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Mm. That's for Good. me. That's it. Like I, I think all the other stuff that we've added is great. Yep. I think that we have a nursery is wonderful. Yep. Paid clergy. Right. I think there's a, you have a website outstanding. Yep. I don't think any of those things are bad. Mm-hmm. I think at its core, Acts two forty two is like that's that's what we do. That's yeah. that's what we're about. Which you'll notice in that list does not include um, necessarily a worship set, a mm-hmm. singing. Uh, like I think that's important, and we see obviously very early expressions of that, but. Uh, yeah, I, I think if you had to distill it down to its purest form, that would be it. I don't, how would you answer that? I think that's a really good way to answer it. I hadn't thought of it, but I thought that was, I think that's a really good way. You're just saying that. No, no, I do. I do. Way, way to be pastoral and pull a verse right out of the Bible. There you go. <laughs> I did just teach on it last weekend. <laughs> good so. point. Good point. Uh, because sometimes you and I have talked about this where people are like, oh, it's just going to be me and God at Starbucks and that's going to be my church. And we're like, there's some dangerous... Not every expression is going to be equal here. Yeah, that's true. And, I, and Frost wouldn't say that no. for sure. And so no. I think that does raise up like, uh, what are those new expressions? What can they look like? And what kind of still constitutes a church? I think it's a fascinating article. Go to MikeFrost.net, MikeFrost.net, and give those a read. Yeah, and we're always interested in questions like these. Who who are the people that are doing kind of stuff, yeah. innovating at the fringes? And I think that's always a good thing to kind of have our radars attuned to. Well, coming up next, the article says this, the church's complicity in mass incarceration. We're going to talk about that coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. Did you know that we're also on the interwebs, Brian? I've heard. You've heard? I've heard heard rumors? I've heard from people that we are out there. What people have told you that? Like, people who who frequent the interwebs. (laughs) Frequent interwebs users. Frequenters. Did you know that you're on there? (laughs) there, how, how, How deep into Google image searching Brian Fromm would I have to go to find a photo you'd be embarrassed of? Oh, I, I have you ever done that? Just Google yourself. I've Googled you. Have I? That I don't not sure anything really comes up because my last name is so common. You'll get like Brian from here. Oh, Brian, you know? interesting. It hurts my pride. Like I'm like, why don't I come up first? <laughs> oh, I, heard, I shouldn't have brought it up. I'm yeah, so sorry. No, no. I it's good. It's Wait, good. you can. Find I actually us. don't know. Okay. Yeah, I'm gonna do it now while you tell people. <laughs> Please do. You can find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com slash the Common Good at Common Good Talk on Twitter and uh, wherever it is you get your podcast. Some of you are listening right now via podcast. If that's you, if you like, subscribe, review, and share that with a friend or tweet it out, any of those things actually really does help us out, and we really appreciate it. Also, and this happened uh, earlier this week, if there's ever a segment we do that you'd like just to have the audio for that particular segment, let us know. We did a segment a little earlier this week, and someone said, could you give me the audio to just that? So we, our producer, John, made that available, and uh, here we are. So we would love to serve you guys the best we possibly can. And uh, all right, so here's a conversation we've talked um, a little bit about, but it in particular is about mass incarceration, and it's from Missio Alliance, which we've referenced a number of times in the last few months. And uh, why don't you give us kind of the big information buckets and then we'll kind of get into the nitty gritty. It's a fascinating article because the premise of it is that the church is complicit in our mass incarceration, what most of us would call a problem in our country. So let me just read the beginning of it because 
as I read it, I was like, I'm not sure I agree with it. Oh, I see what they're saying. Like, I kind of kept going back and forth with it. Okay. It says Christianity has played a paramount role in mass incarceration. Mass incarceration's origin, sustainment, and astronomic growth are inherently linked to Christian theology. Our embrace of penal substitution has engendered a a retributive, 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 retributive. I knew I wasn't saying it right. (laughs) I I could tell. Culture within our criminal justice system. The church has adopted and supported a merit. Meritocracy. Nope. Meritocratic. Oh, I'm not even following this. <laughs> that declares people get what they deserve. This worldview has subconsciously fostered an unquestioning allegiance to the state, and it has led the church to unwittingly consent to and affirm that crime is primarily a legal offense committed against the state hmm. rather than a sin that relationally harms individuals and communities, infringing on the shalom that God intends for us all. The church has adopted and supported a, meta, a meritocratic ethic that declares people get what they deserve. So we'll stop there. Uh, a, I've never thought of it that way at hmm. all. And I, I guess when I hear him say that, I, I get penal substitution and all that stuff, but that's not where Christian theology ends. And I would say that if that's where your theology ends, right, God's wrath, God's judgment, sin, bad, deserves punishment, then I could totally get what he's saying. I just, my one take, my, my one pushback, and he gets at it a little bit later, is that like, I feel like this is, if that's the argument that people's Christian theology stops at God's wrath and punishment for sin, then it's a theological problem. They don't their their Christian theology is not very Christian. It's not it's not fully developed there. And uh, and so what he's saying, I would say, yeah, that's a problem. If that's where people's theology ends, I could totally see how that would lead to we must just judge and punish uh, the criminal. I think that's almost the opposite of what he's saying. Actually, tell me. Maybe I'm just not understanding the article, so, so please go. So you know, you know what a meritocracy is. I it do. is this understanding that people hold power, positions of influence, simply based on ability. Which, if YouTube has taught us anything, we know that's not not true. Plenty of people rise to power and superstardom, even you know, Absolutely. in spite of their uh, lack of ability. So this idea that God, and he talks about it a little bit here, God alone can purely define, respond to, and legislate sin. Uh, while also knowing the nature of a person's heart. As fallen people, our judgment is never completely pure. Everyone is embedded in culture, and it's conformed to the pattern to the world to some degree. And then a little bit later on, here's where I think I think you and you might find yourself agreeing. Okay. Uh, Christianity is predicated on grace, which opposes meritocracy and the rugged individualism we, pro- we pride ourselves on. Meritocracy insidiously com- uh, compromises our vision. It distorts how we see ourselves and perverts how mm-hmm. we relate to and interact with our neighbors. He's kind of going after his meritocracy in, I think, uh, through the lens of mass incarceration. I see. Meritocracy places us in a position of judgment over and against others. It subtly fosters a fear of the other by differentiating us from them. It endows us with a uh, with a sense of moral superiority in which we indict others and look down upon them. Meritocracy engenders an anxiety that clings to fear-mongering and embraces jail cell border walls and ethnic exclusion as social safeguards that will protect us from them. So he's speaking particularly those that maybe find themselves on the top end of mm-hmm. a supposed meritocracy and that when you are kind of embedded with that understanding of how the world works or government works or power or influence works, it's inevitable that you will create a sort of us in them yeah. category, which is possibly inevitable regardless. But what I think he's getting at is uh, is some of the systemic reasons that 
we see some of the disparity in the statistics and the book. I mean, the book goes in a lot greater detail, but this is sort of like a a snapshot of a particular idea in the book. And I'm I'm curious if having read that, if that changes anything for you. Yeah, I do. That does. That's helpful. Uh, he says, over time, the church has welcomed a meritocratic ethic, which forsakes the grace our faith is founded on. Christian meritocracy has evolved as the byproduct of syncretizing biblical and nationalistic values. Uh, you know, as long as there are us and them, us and those people, whether right. it be uh, law-abiding citizens and people who have broken the law, rich and poor, black and white, whatever it might be, uh, and you see yourself as on the top, that quick that, that clearly butts up against the teachings of Jesus and Christian theology that says um, view others as better than yourselves, right? Uh, look to the needs of others. And, and I do think our country, uh, I told you, I listened to a podcast about this that just blew my mind uh, that, that we have a, a, an incarceration problem that I don't think of most of us understand, especially with the privatizations of prisons and uh, the racial in, uh, disparity of who makes up those prisons um, and, and, and many different other things. I think the church has an opportunity to lead strongly and say, listen, uh, as people who are who are recipients of God's grace, we now want to be conduits of God's grace. doesn't mean nobody should ever go to prison, right? There's there's a place for uh, for punishment in this, but but what's the point? And it reminds me, uh, like your church, right? Your uh, your network at New Thing is literally planting churches in prison. Well, why? It's because your guys are saying uh, you're, you're saying the people he even those in prison hold value uh, as as created and loved by God, and so we are going to go in because even in prison, we want to see God's grace poured out. And the question is, what's the point of prison? You right. know, is it to get the dangerous people and to get the criminal or whatever, however we want to classify them? Is it to get them away from us? Or should we as a culture be saying, even those people who have broken our laws, how can we how can we build into them? How can we, uh, uh, you know, not just look to punish, but also to restore? And as the church, we should be all about restoration, transformation and God's grace, because that's what we've experienced in our lives. Well, this is what he says. He says legislatively. Meritocracy seduces us into supporting policies that punish, racially target, and geographically profile. Meritocracy holds that those people deserve to be quarantined and caged like animals because their actions prove they are dangerous and immoral. Uh, meritocracy thereby holds that retributively responding to crime is not only right, it's also responsible. It ensures that peace, stability, and safety of, uh, of moral citizens. And again, what, it's, what, what I think he's talking about is being careful – I think he's probably saying more aggressively than just simply be careful, but yeah. the way that those ethics have seeped into our theology and our common church practice, um, part of what is so difficult about some of these topics is that they're so embedded into how we think and believe and talk Absolutely. that it's it can be difficult to really stand back, I think, objectively and see them for what they really are, especially if it's all you've ever known. Yeah. So yeah. we know that that was just a few minutes. Yeah, I encourage you to read the article. Really, yeah. I would encourage you to read the book. Uh, and There's a lot of really challenging things in there. And I don't think that I agree with everything in the book, yeah. but it has certainly raised some categories and raised some topics that I think I hope that we can yeah. continue to have. I love when we do like things this. where in the midst of the conversation, I go, okay, I'm understanding this better or yeah, i agree right. now and i didn't agree before like i, I appreciate that yep and it's i mean in a way easier said than done yeah well okay so coming up next let's go let's take a hard right turn and we're talking dominoes okay like not the like game the game no like the uh, subpar pizza ah. people st- are you okay i don't know if it's subpar people, it is it is it is subpar. <laughs> we're gonna talk about that coming up next on the common good on am 1160 hope for your life 
Hey everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Michael Simpkins. Shoot, I shouldn't have said it. Because yeah. your name is Brian James. There it is. Oh. What's my last name? Uh, you know it's it. on the tip of my tongue. <laughs> Smith? I shouldn't have set you up. Is it two? By the way, we were talking in an earlier segment, what happens when you Google yourself? And that I told oh, you yeah, my right. name is really like weird with being from, F-R-O-M. Right, right. Uh, so my church stuff comes up first, oh. but immediately... <laughs> Uh, Brian from Family Guy. <laughs> oh, really? Yes. It's immediately well, next. Because of our friendship, every time I type the word from, it now capitalizes it. So I feel like <laughs> you owe me something. It's uh, really Some funny. time back. <laughs> to, go to go back. back. I got to oh, no, it's lowercase. I'm not writing it Brian is. from. There aren't many people out there whose names are prepositions, man. <laughs> not many. I'm not even entirely sure I know what a preposition is to this day. <laughs> Anywho, this is almost a grinds my gears, but I thought it was a little more interesting. because I want to kind of get your take on some of this. Yep. It was literally just something I saw uh, mindlessly scrolling on Facebook. And uh, are you ready for it? I am. I've, I've prepared you a little bit. but yep. Okay, so Domino's, and again, we discussed the subpar pizza company, which you disagreed on it, it is a part but uh <laughs> i do i'm literally i'm not i'm i'm actually not remembering you're from detroit which is the one from detroit little caesars, caesars yes mike illich little That's caesars right. i knew it was one of those so That's- when you say subpar if you go domino's little caesars pizza hut where what's the ranking in there oh little caesars pizza hut domino's for sure i, I think i'd probably go little caesars domino's pizza hut Oh, really? I think so. Yeah. but the, My I, wife uh, loves Pizza Hut. N- not that this is even what we're talking about, but when I was a kid, they had the uh, the Pizza Hut lunch buffet, the all-you-can-eat. Yeah. So I'm one of 14 children or whatever. <laughs> so You guys made good use of the Not buffet. that many, but yeah, we would like roll up and they were like, oh, no. This is what we were afraid Everyone of. Roll up the sleeves and my dad would just kind of give them a nod like, what's up? Yep. What's up? And You're going like, to want to clear this, people. <laughs> seriously, it was like $2 a head. And we would just stay there for hours. It sir, was so much fun. Sir, it's not the dinner buffet, but we're still eating lunch, man. We're well, and they going. also had the Book It whole initiative, right? Where you could read books and earn points and get a free personal pan pizza. At pizza? I didn't know that. Yeah. What? You never did Book It? Uh-uh. Oh, uh-huh. man. That was the I most... read for the sake of reading. No, you did not. <laughs> Getting pizza at the end of reading was the most motivated I've ever been to read That's to funny. this day. My kids, I'm sorry, we're right off subject. My That's kids, okay. when they read at school, like they track, and at the end of the year, you get a free ticket to Great America. Well, that's much better than what yes. I was talking about. But we didn't use ours this year. That's a whole other story. <laughs> Wait, you got a free ticket and didn't? Oh, no. I'm a bad dad. I'm a bad father. You're not a bad dad. Not a good, good father. I'm a bad <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I have no room to judge, by the way, because the amount of unused gift cards I have currently in my possession is obscene. Is that right? Oh, I'm the worst at actually going and using them. <laughs> The the gift card industry is like a multi billion dollar industry, by the way. Yeah, of people that don't use them or don't use all of them or they lose them. I'm all of that. You are all of that. Yeah. I am I am the, when it comes to gift cards, I'm the opposite. Oh, you're like, let's clear like, this baby right oh, now. Oh, I love the <laughs> gift card. Somebody gave us a card the other day with a Panera gift card, and the next day I'm texting my wife, Wanna meet me at Panera? Wanna no, meet me at Panera? See, I'm like, just give me cash. What are we doing? No. <laughs> no, you don't have to make a stop at CVS. Just give me That's write awesome. me a personal check if you want to give me money. I will not be offended. It is Funny, there is a stigma about giving cash that's not there I with know, giving a gift and card that now out. that you pointed out is really interesting. But if you opened like a card and it was just like a couple of 20s, you'd be like, heck yes. <laughs> yes. Th- thank you. If anyone listening knows me, yeah, we'll, we'll just take the cash. Just take the cash. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Here's why I bring all this up. I was scrolling aimlessly. I think it might have even been an ad. And it was um, it was an ad for Domino's Delivery Insurance. It's an additional insurance that you can pay for. If 
the product they delivered to you is incorrect. And I had this, like, get off my lawn moment. Yes, go there. Isn't it literally your entire job (laughs) to make sure that what I ordered is the pizza that's delivered? So now they're incurring an additional cost in case the delivery is wrong. It's like insurance for your phone or something. If it gets broken in transit or whatever. But now for a pizza. So for an additional cost, you can insure that your pizza is correct and if it's not they'll refund it or get you a replacement or something like and that. And they will I'm reading it here they'll give you a coupon for 20% off your next order or oh. 60 piece of the pie rewards points. That is funny though because like you said <laughs> it reminds me of the Seinfeld episode where they uh where they went and got uh uh where they went and Jerry was getting uh the rental car and Elaine and they're there and they didn't have a rental car and Jerry said your job, I reserve the right. rental car. Your job is to hold yes. the rental car. It feels like you're right. With pizza, your only job is to get it there uh-huh. correct and warm and timely. And I get that there are mistakes. But like, so my uh, my dad worked at Little Caesars for a while. And um, he, I think, I don't know that his location was part of the franchise, though, or not. I think someone bought the store. doesn't matter. Anyway, they, they had a policy. You know, if you're not satisfied, then we'll replace it, you know, totally for free. No questions asked. And he said there was a guy in particular who would like regularly scam the system where they deliver the pizza. He'd eat all of the pizza. He'd leave one slice and then put like a cigarette butt on it. And be like, ah, there's there's a cigarette on my pizza. My dad was like, nobody at the store smokes. (laughs) So this guy and he's like, because the owner was like such a such a good dude, like kept his word like multiple times, I guess, if I'm remembering it correctly would give this guy a free pizza and he would just do this over and over again until finally someone was like, Hey pal, you're done. Maybe go get pizza somewhere else. So recently I was out with my son and he, you could tell his almost teenage mind was figuring out scams that you could do. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. And I was actually found myself helping him think these through and I was like, but we don't do these. <laughs> so I think one time, like if you find a bag of money, you return it to the police, Brian, <laughs> but like, you know, Hey, there's a hair. He was like, why can't you just like say that you found a hair? I'm like, well, technically you can't. And, oh boy! And uh, but I'm like, but we don't do good. that. All so. right, good, good. <laughs> but in, the, in my mind, I'm like, way to go, boy, way to go. <laughs> oh, no. And uh, so one sure thing, four about, corners is very proud. <laughs> I'm sure they are. One thing uh, that's discipleship at its best, right there. Right, go, right. So. Uh, one thing about the carryout insurance, there is another aspect to it. I'm reading right here. That is, if like you mess up, like if you carry it out and you drop your pizza. Or you left it on your roof and it flies off, they'll replace it as well. So okay. A little bit of protection for you. It protects them as well. Uh, but a but, little bit of protection for you. But that's part of what I want to rant on here, though. Remember back in the day when someone would legitimately drop the pizza and the person would say, hey, that pizza cost me 40 cents to make. The next one's on me. <laughs> yeah. I saw you drop that outside our store. Oh, so did you have the insurance, ma'am? <laughs> no, that'll be twelve ninety nine. I'm holding a Domino's box. You know what I'm saying? Flipped. I totally remember. Don't. Remember the day when we actually believed people. And now that's not to say that there haven't been a lot of people that have scammed the system. And I get maybe why this yep. is valuable to the company. It also might be a sign that they're flailing. Like, uh, yeah. what? Could, how can we make some extra cash? That is a great point. If somebody walked in with a Domino's box and like clearly just disheveled pizza that they had <laughs> dropped, right? Would they be like? I mean, is now the question, did you buy the insurance? And if you're like, oh, no, yeah. you're like, 
Sorry. Enjoy your, enjoy your road pizza. Your ro- <laughs> Ugh, I hate that term. I got pepperoni with a side of gravel. That's <laughs> enjoy it. But like with a phone, I get it though. Like oh, you yeah, know the stuff. the the insurance. And again, that's insanely expensive. But you know, mm-hmm. if you chip a corner, or crack a screen, you bring it in. Like, hey, I accidentally dropped this. You know, the people at the Apple Store are going to ask, "Oh, do you have the protection?" Yes. If you do not, You're that's that's on you. Yep. I'm sorry. Yep. I do kind of wish that you know the thirteen hundred dollar phones would just come with. The insurance, like that, would be a nice. I can't believe that's the the amount of money we're dropping on these things now. That's insane. I was just looking at them yesterday with my wife. Yes, <laughs> yes. and weeping. Yes. <laughs> yes, we're not replacing ours as best I could tell. But. <sighs> man, oh man, it's ridiculous. That is funny. I I would love to see that scene if you were waiting for your pizza and somebody walked in and they clearly dropped their pizza or something and the person's like, you know, it's kind of like that that high school kid behind the counter and he's like. Uh, do you have the insurance? I'd right. Like, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Give me a pizza. They're probably instructed not to, though. I think that's a I great point. And I, I think agree. that is in, that to me, I didn't mean this to be some existential commentary on culture, but I do think the tides have shifted a bit. Right. And we are, I think, in a time where like, hey, sorry, if you don't have the insurance, you're uh, you're just kind of out of luck. Yep. Well, we're going to kind of carry this general <laughs> vibe over. Into a segment we've called Crimes My Gears, where Brian and I just rant. rant. It's sort of a, it's becoming a little bit of a Friday staple, which is making me a sadder person in general. Maybe by that you mean happy. Enjoy it. I, I don't enjoy it. it. I don't enjoy it like you do, and we're all going to see that played out in real time. Coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. i got to be honest, that music... Like makes me laugh, uh-huh. but it also makes me feel more aggressive or something. Yes, is yes. That what it is? <laughs> yes. I think that was like the point of the music. It I doesn't. So. I don't know that it's accomplishing necessarily what it probably had no idea that it would ever be used in this way. I mean, like I hope this song makes it on a Christian <laughs> talk show between two pastors. That would probably blow their mind. Let's get them on the show. Being like old people <laughs> trying to get, get off my lawn segment. Yeah, let's see if we can get them. Either way, so we I don't know where this even came from. I think it actually was your idea, a grinds my gears mm-hmm. segment. I don't know what the point of it necessarily is. Maybe it's just a palate cleanser for you and I. It also gives people uh, permission to 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 vent a little bit, and also oh. also uh, besides it being somewhat humorous, sometimes I think it you know people go oh yeah no that bothers me too. I had somebody at my church after one of the segments I talked about uh, somebody flicking me off in traffic, and they were like, "Yep, been there, man." Been had, there. Has that been some of the response? Like he's yeah. human too. Yep. No, just oh I, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> I've yet to get that with the dogs in the stroller, but I'm still waiting. Yeah, that's a real weird thing to be. <laughs> As upset as you were about, to be to be honest. <laughs> feel good about it. Though. I know that you felt good about it, which also concerns me. Uh, do you want to go first? Sure. All right. So uh, I watch a lot of uh, sports with my son. Uh, my son, particularly, will watch. Are you telling us something? How many What's sons it? do you have? I know. I just said sons. That okay. was funny. Uh, my wife's like, hello. Hello. <laughs> uh, my son uh, will watch a lot of football. We'll watch now. It's postseason baseball. So we'll watch a lot of baseball. Those games. Uh, and then my kids, you know, they're the age where they're not just watching Disney Channel anymore. They actually like watch Survivor, Amazing Ooh. Race, all these things. But particularly, I want to I want to talk about watching sports right here, and it's this: Could Fox and CBS and NBC and TBS, like in the middle of a Sunday afternoon when you're watching football, or maybe an evening when you know kids are going to be watching the beginning of the baseball game, could we not throw things up for like the Joker? Oh. Or like, uh, or like, uh, 
uh, male uh, uh, issue pills. <laughs> could we not have? Could we not? Male, could I've never issue, seen? I didn't I've, never, know, I've never seen a commercial for a there, male. There was issue a, pill. there was a word there that I didn't know whether I was allowed to say or not. Here, to I, could, I could see the panic in your eyes. Could, could maybe? <laughs> could maybe we not have like? Does the, hey, everyone shooting people and this that like? Wait, hold on. Does the male issue pill address like? Overt aggression? <laughs> no, it does not. In, in, insecurity, <laughs> the patriarchy. <laughs> could could we not have the one where the, the two people who end up like holding hands in two different bathtubs like, uh, no, on the front porch for some yes. reason? Yeah, okay. Or or like you know when like it too came out or all these terrifying movies. Do we need to run them on Sunday afternoon during football? When like in the middle of the kid, day, right? Yeah. Or right. even in the evening, in the beginning of a baseball game, when you know kids are watching the movies. Yeah, right. Could we? Me- I get it. It's all about money, but maybe. Maybe be a little bit more discerning about when we play these commercials, because thankfully I can hit pause on these. But there's more times my wife or I will be like, "We'll be like, who's got the remote? Pause, yeah, yeah, pause!" Right. And by the time you pause it, it's like over. Right. You're like, oh, remember when we used to actually program television shows with that in mind? Though, yes. like here are kind of the kid safe ones. Okay, they're probably in bed by now. We'll play these ones. Yeah, there used to be like a real yes. sort of classy consideration for a. And I know, understand them, like Survivor or Amazing, like those. Like okay, those are probably primarily watched by adults. But like literally NFL football at noon on a Sunday. Yeah, and I've got to be careful about what my kid might see during the commercial break. Let's not let's stop that, people. I'm not gonna lie. This might be the first one of yours that I've really agreed with. Thank you very much. I think you're spot on. You're I good. think that is a real issue. Let's go to Congress. There you go. We're gonna be 100 percent on today. I, I can feel it. What's yours? Give me one. I got two of them today, oh, Brian. Good. I got three. PJ was, of course, of course you do. PJ, PJ was helping kind of prime the pump. Okay, speaking of pump, here's one of them. Uh, the sheer magnitude of questions I have to answer at the gas pump before I can actually start pumping. Like, they're going to start asking my blood type and my eye color. I'm with you, I, baby. Especially if you're like, all right, I'm I'm on E. I, I got, I'm trying to get to this meeting. Yes. I just need to. And it makes you go through 16 yes. interrogative. There's like a pull chain light above you. And I'm like, am I being arrested? Why do you need all this information? No, I'm not a rewards member. No, I don't want a car wash. Yeah. No, I don't like Barney. Like, I, why Why do you need all this information? This and good. then as soon as you start pumping, like the, you know some of those fancy ones, yep. the screen will turn on yep. to give you more information. I'm like, I don't need information from you i just need some mentos and some gas in my tank leave me alone mentos. just leave me alone I'm, it just drives me crazy or now when you put your credit card in it asks for your zip code oh yeah and okay funny joke <laughs> somebody uh a, a friend out there who will remain nameless although they probably don't listen smart uh one time uh admitted to the fact that put the credit card in on the gas pump and it said zip code and they said i don't know the zip code for where i am right now not realizing they're asking for your own personal zip code oh, for the credit gosh. card's sake. <laughs> does it? Did this person say it to the gas pump? I don't know. <laughs> they admitted it later. <laughs> that, that is that is really funny. All right, my second one yeah. is this, uh, because this has now happened to me twice this week, and a lot of times I you grind my gear sentence to be around food. Uh, when you go through the drive-through of say a a coffee establishment <laughs> or a fast food establishment or like a male issue <laughs> nope no, no, no. okay okay <laughs> and they uh they get your order wrong but like it's really like a very simple order so the other day i hate coffee i'm not a coffee person at all i'll pray for you thank you <laughs> i you've seen you know you noticed probably the first week we were together uh-huh. i'm constantly drinking iced tea constantly constantly in fact i have one at my feet right now you have one of those hats yeah, i might as well all the beverages yeah one of my favorite places is Dunkin' Donuts, especially between two and six when it's only a dollar fifty or whatever. So I got the you Dunkin are Donuts. get off my lawn, guy. Aren't I you? got the Dunkin' Donuts, stuck it in my. I, I suppose the answer here could have been that I could have tried it, but I don't think I need to. 
I put it in my cup holder, drive away. I get far enough away that I can't really, it's now really inconvenient, uh-huh. turn around, take a sip, iced coffee. Oh, boy. And I was so mad. <laughs> Because I, there's no way I'm drinking the iced coffee, and I'm also not driving back to Dunkin' Donuts. It also happened a fast food establishment. I'd said the only thing I care about is that I don't get mustard and onions on this. Right. And then I drove away. <laughs> and what do you think the only thing on the burger was? Mustard and onions. I hate that people. Is Let's there any possibility right. though that you accidentally said iced coffee instead of iced tea? It's not. A, I, I any, promise you. Any universe no chance? No. No chance. They just filled it up wrong. I we, my wife and I a couple years ago went to a restaurant and they brought me just the completely wrong thing. And I don't. You know, I'm not. I certainly. It's a. I have a high threshold. Yep. So if it's like oh, I said no, whatever. It was just the completely a completely different meal. Just I was like, it. "Oh, I ordered this," and <laughs> she just stared at me for a second. There's this long pause, and she goes, "Wait, so you do want me to bring you the thing that you ordered?" And I was like, <laughs> "Yeah, that's why we're here." <laughs> it was just so like I couldn't so believe what you're saying. Ooh, so what do you want to do now? What do I want to do now? <laughs> I want you to correct this. <laughs> What's your last I, one? I couldn't. Oh, my last one. We're running out of time. All right, so this one has some caveats. Okay, this is a caveat for. You know, people with uh, – they have some kind of social anxiety or some kind of – but, like, particularly when you're at a restaurant or you're at a checkout lane or something and the person clearly not interested in you at all just say, hey, how are you today? And they're not even, like, not even eye contact. Yep. Like, I can picture it now. The waitress walks up the table with, the you know, the thing. Yep. Waiter or waitress is like, hey, what can I get you? Yeah, hey, why are you? I'm like, hey, two humans here in real space and time. Why don't we oh, look each other in okay. the face a little okay. bit? Like, this is we don't have to be best best friends. Yeah, just a little bit of I don't know that intentionality. It kind of comes down to etiquette, I guess, for me. Oh, and everyone has bad days. Everyone has exhausted weeks. I get it. But like you, you're like I know you don't care how I'm doing. Yeah, just just me. Just, just eye contact. Yep. I just think the the decency of like, hey, you're in my checkout line. Or you're at my table. Yeah, how are you? One of, on? one of my last one was going to be along those lines. Did I see? This is what we learned. Look at us. It's when you're in a meeting with somebody or having coffee or, or lunch with somebody, and they regularly check their text messages. And you and I talked about this yesterday or two days ago, when, and now it rings on your watch, and they kind of look uh-huh, at their watch. Right. Drives me up a wall. Like, I'll just stop talking. <laughs> and I think I'm guilty of it sometimes, but I, I will just, I'll just stop talking and like kind of watch them look at their phone. And until they realize that you've stopped talking, uh, you're not listening to me. Like, what, <laughs> what, what are we talking about? You're not listening. So, so I think it goes along with yours. Will you stop talking and then just like mean mug them? Just no. stare at them? No, I'll wa- they'll put their phone down. I'll, I'll jump back. It's not like I'm trying to oh, shame you, them. So you won't say anything. No. I'll be telling you a story. I'll send you look down. I'll just stop. And then you look back up and be like, yeah. And so what I was saying, <laughs> just pick up right where we left off. That's pretty funny. I, I want to I note Go the next it. time that happens between the two of us. <laughs> well, that was maybe the most. Easy, freeform, grinds my gears we've done and to agreeable. date. Yeah, I feel and we, good. And we'd love to know if you have any. Also, we'd love to talk about them. If you come up with some that you think we might resonate with, we will. feel do. free to send them to us, and uh, we might share them on the show. Well, you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com slash The Common Good, on Twitter, at Common Good Talk. And uh, if you're a podcaster... First, 
Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> Second, if you would like, subscribe, review, and then share that with somebody who posted online somewhere. And uh, any of those things really do help us out a whole ton. And this is maybe the third time I think we've addressed this this week. Uh, we talked even a little bit yesterday about Beth Moore's reactions to some of yeah. her, at least publicly on Twitter, some of the comments made by John MacArthur. But I, I don't know if you've been getting these at all. Um, as a pastor, this has raised a lot of good dialogue, I think. If I'm just kind of silver lining this moment a little bit, it's like, all right, at the very least, a lot of people, it seems to be really asking questions, especially in sort of a public forum. All right, so what do we believe about this? Where where do we land on this? Women preachers, women ordination, women in leadership. Uh, it's one thing you know, for me to share my convictions, but I know that there, there are plenty of brilliant, smart people on both sides of this argument. And uh, I found a video. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's about 12 or 13 minutes long from N.T. Wright kind of addressing this question. We don't have time to play all of it, but uh, our producer edited down to about five minutes. Some of N.T.'s response to this question, uh, should women preach? And I just think N.T. Wright is so smart. Rather than kind of like Paul just quotes and you and I talk about him, I wanted people to hear from him specifically. So uh, just kind of fair warning, it's about four and a half, five minutes long. Uh, and then we're going to respond just a little bit when we come back. So here is N.T. Wright as- answering the question, responding to the question, uh, should women preach? As with many other things, I want to go to the resurrection. I want to go to the resurrection stories of Jesus in the in the first light of Easter Day. Uh, actually, you know, without the resurrection of Jesus, everything falls apart anyway. There is no Christianity. And within that culture, <clears throat> the idea that the prime witnesses to the most important event in the whole story would be women in tears is so counterintuitive that as a historian, I have to say, nobody would ever make up that story. Interestingly, in 1 Corinthians 15, when Paul quotes what is now the shaped up and polished tradition, the women have disappeared already by the early 50s. Mm. Here's our tradition, and we know that people aren't going to believe us if we say he appeared first to these women. Mm. But Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's all very clear the Mm. first person to see the risen Jesus were the women. And particularly... The first people to be told to tell other people that Jesus is alive again. Mm. All Christian ministry flows from the announcement that the crucified Jesus has been raised from the dead and is now the Lord of the world. And this is just a cultural revolution that Jesus had up till then chosen 12 men um, who all let him down in various ways. He now transforms that, this is part of the newness of new creation, it seems to me, by saying, now, actually, this extraordinary explosive message is so subversive that the best people to take it are strange women who no one's going to believe. Mm. (laughs) And indeed, the disciples themselves don't. Read Romans 16. Now, of course, most people studying Romans find it hard to get to chapter 8, (laughs) let alone 11 or let alone 16. But Romans 16 is explosive. Paul greets all these church leaders in Rome, many of whom are women who are church leaders in their own right, one of whom is an apostle, he says so, junior, and there's been a, a huge attempt to try to make out this is junior a man, but the scholarship is quite clear. This is a female name, and she is an apostle. For Paul, that means somebody who has seen the risen Jesus and is thereby commissioned to be an authorized representative. Mm-hmm. And here's the crunch. The first woman mentioned in Romans 16 is the bearer of the letter to Rome. Now, if you're Paul and you know in your bones you have just written a letter which is the most explosive piece of theological writing you can imagine, who are you going to give it to to take it 
to be read under Caesar's nose in Rome. Well, presumably some strong man. No, a deacon woman from the church in Kenkreai. We assume she's an independent businesswoman, Phoebe, and she's on the way to Rome. And what we know about um, the way letters worked in the ancient world was if you sent a letter via a friend or somebody... The chances are, you can't prove this, mm. the chances are they will be the one to read it out. They might well be the one to explain it to people who, I mean, faced mm. with Romans, we'd have a thousand, que- yes. I'd have a thousand <laughs> questions. So, so Phoebe, tell us what, so the probability is that the first person to expound Paul's letter to the Romans was a woman, a deacon from the church in Kenkrei. And I want to say, get used to it, guys. You know, th- th- this is explosive, but it's the sort of thing that happens mm. when new creation is going forwards. Men and women... Don't go with the stereotypes. The men must lift up holy hands without getting angry and having arguments. In other words, men, we all know about testosterone. Just now you're Christians, learn to deal with that and don't be all sort of um, power brokers and so on. Women, don't think that your life is defined by having an elaborate hairdo or by having jewellery. That just plays into the idea that women are the pretty little things, the decoration on the side, while we men are doing the fighting, as it were. So he's saying, let's get rid of the stereotypes and learn a wise way of being human, which avoids those. All of that, pretty well everything I've said, could be contested and has been contested. It seems to me that is as good a way of reading the passage as any I've come across. And my question is, why have some people taken those three verses and made an entire church policy out of it and been very fierce about it, which Mm. has happened, particularly again in America. We thought we'd kind of got beyond that Mm. and it's now come back Mm. again. Um, What's going on in the culture to make people say this is the defining thing when they miss out so many other things in the New Testament? You know, that's one little passage. How many times... Do we have teaching about riches and poverty in the New Testament? How many times do we have teaching about generosity to the poor and all of that? And many people who fixate on that mm. don't actually seem to bother about all mm. those other things at all. Okay, so that that was clearly drinking from a fire hydrant. It really didn't seem right, man. I, I've already talked a little bit. I just want to know, how does that hit you? What, what, do, you, uh, what do you say to all of that? Hey, I say he, I could listen to a guy with a British eye. It's British, right? <laughs> That, I'm sorry, I know that's a much smaller deal, but man, that just flows. He's he's so good. I can listen to him. It's just so deep. Feels like you're at a movie theater. Are you, you're avoiding the question. I am you? not at all. <laughs> I am not. Uh, I love the way that you said before that there are great scholars on both sides of the issue, but that the vitriol coming from the uh, on some sides here is what's most disheartening. And man, you can't look at the Bible and not go that women played a prominent role. Jesus changed the way women were viewed. Uh, the church uh, in that culture, y- you just can't say it. And so for guys like MacArthur and them, uh, it, it really does raise a lot of questions. I think N.T. Wright, too, in his brilliance as a historian, just does a great job at unpacking. Uh, here's what was going on in the cultural context of the Bible. Here's what was going on. And rather than just kind of the yelling back and forth, I just I appreciated that, man. How long did you say the whole thing is? Uh, it's like 12 minutes. 12 minutes. Yeah. He was just answering a question from somebody. Or... Yeah, this is, and that's just sort of how he talks okay. off the top of his head. Like he's, he's, he's that little. Okay, so do you, do you agree with him, though? Is that uh, a theological conclusion that you're comfortable sharing, talking about? Uh, I would say that I don't know. 
I would say that that is something that, quite frankly, I am working through. I grew up very much complementarian. Okay. Uh, a lot of my favorite preachers and teachers are complementarians who I fully respect a lot. Uh, I am actually in a group of people right now reading books, and we're discussing it. Uh, it is something that that I am open to having a discussion about. How's what, that sound? What are you uh, What are you reading to kind of take a deeper dive into it? Uh, so everything from uh, Kostenberger on one side to Grudem on the other to you know the books you can get three views on this. To, right. Uh, we're reading too much. It's quite frankly it. So you have like a whole hodgepodge of books hodgepodge, that like yeah. all of you are kind of Correct. dissecting together right. people from different sides and just working it out because. Uh, you know, like you said, you, you often embrace the theology that you were raised with right? yeah, and the right. church you were in. And I also, think I don't know that, that that's always the case, but yeah, I do. And so, and I also think sometimes people could be too flippant and go on either side, actually haven't dug into what are the actual arguments, but instead like it becomes an emotional thing. So it's been great. It's been a great thing for me to do with people. And, uh, yeah, I, I think I. I, hopefully people can handle that, that pastors are works in progress when it comes to theology. I would say that that's where some, I am. Some people can. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I would reckon if uh, Scott McKnight's blue parakeet is not a part of that. I believe I would, it is. We've got something for McKnight in there. Do you? Yeah. I'll have to I mean, I support that entirely, but. Uh, Scott McKnight. I, yeah. And just in general, as long as you're reading McKnight, I think you're in good shape. But as blue, long as you're reading McKnight. Blue parakeet, though. That was, that was really helpful. Well, coming up next, here's a, uh, a pretty different take I want to kind of invite us into, this idea that some of us are creatives and some of us are not, and kind of essentially in a world where a lot of us feel like button pushers, like we're human doings, not human beings, what does it look like in a world kind of filled with constantly going to just sort of be captivated by beauty and wonder and awe? We're going to talk about that coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm. Uh, we are both pastors. I just wanted to say that. And I think it's fun that we also get to do this. And I don't want you to think that uh, any of that is lost on us. I think it is a real joy to be able to talk through these things with you guys. Absolutely. And to read things that I don't know that I otherwise would have read. I honestly think that uh, doing this has made me a better pastor and a preacher. It's like helped me think through other perspectives and what other people have gone through. And uh, we will love hearing from you as well. So you can find us on Facebook, the Common Good Radio Show, on Twitter, at Common Good Talk, 1160hope.com slash the Common Good. And if you're a podcaster, any of those likes or reviews or subscriptions really does help us out. You can hit that share button if you feel so inclined. And uh, one of the things that I find so interesting is like the types of stories or the types of articles, the types of interactions that Brian and I are kind of inclined toward. Um, We're certainly not polar opposites, but we're certainly not carbon copies either. And I found this, uh, this short video. It's about two minutes long. It's sort of like a, it's a dramatic kind of spoken word, kind of speaking specifically to artists and creatives that okay. I thought was was interesting. And uh, so we're just going to play it. It's entirety. It's two minutes long. And then uh, I want to get some of your reactions to it. So let's, uh, let's go to that now. There's a reason why dictators are far from the reach of the common man. Humanity's worst criminals are sentenced to complete darkness. Our propaganda posters are hung up to replace classical paintings. It's because art speaks to man's unquenchable longing for beauty. 
today we're not fighting against a power to try to suppress beauty. We are fighting against a culture that is numb. Against a system that churns out a manufactured next big thing. Against mathematical formulas for musical compositions. Against the cliché, the sensational, the scandalous. Beauty? It's worth fighting for. And we are in the trenches. We're not button pressers. We're not reactionaries. We're not waiting for a signal. We are artists and we're running towards beauty with every shred of energy we have. Because we hear the call. We understand the responsibility and we take up the mantle. We recognize brokenness and we see beauty there too. We create because he first created. We're inviting you to join us. Because we believe beauty will save the world. Maybe it's obvious why that resonated with me. No, I want uh, to hear why. I, it is obvious, but is I, I do want to hear why anyway. Well, Go ahead and explain. A lot of what he said pretty succinctly is a lot of the heartbeat behind some of the beauty and the common stuff that we had done and continue to do in the future. And I think one of the things that I find so interesting is how many people I meet who say things like, well, I'm just not creative. Mm-hmm. You know, the people will very easily put themselves in categories as non-creative. I'll say things like, I'm not an artist. I know that you will. No. And, I, and I'll nope. often say, you were created by... By a creator to create, period. Mm-hmm. I, I believe that like through and through, like deep in my bones. And this idea, so he's quoting Dostoevsky, who you know, oh, said, okay. beauty, beauty will save the world. And I think that that is, in some ways, pretty easily dismissed, right? Mm-hmm. Because I think in the West, beauty is sort of this like anecdotal, peripheral thing if you have time for beauty. But we got, you know, facts and we have ethics and we have doctrine and we have data, which all those things are good. You right. know? But when you look at like the transcendentals of the Catholic Church and even Plato and Aristotle before that, um, the transcendentals really consist of truth, goodness, and beauty. Truth is mm-hmm. your doctrine piece. Goodness is your like ethics piece. But there was an equal part of that kind of trifold for them, which was beauty, was that beauty has this power to move and compel and stir and invite in a way that the other two don't. And I feel like in a lot of ways, you know, kind of what he said, he's like, we're not button pushers. Like, mm-hmm. we're, we're more than that. I feel like so much of what has made us numb is a lack of like real deep engagement with the beautiful that god is present in the beautiful and not just this is kind of where beauty and the common came from not just the big and grandiose like the waterfall of the ocean but also like you've shared even interactions with your kids yeah or that brief moment when your dog greets you at the door like those are beautiful moments (laughs) that i think make up part of what it means to be human that so often we're just going so fast and so hard all the time that we miss it and i think it's important, not just for people, but for Christ followers in particular, to to, to recapture some of that. And I yeah. think that's kind of why I thought that video was, at the very least, you know, interesting and compelling. I'd be curious to know what you thought hearing it for the first time. Yeah, it honestly, it's not. Uh, when I heard that, I was like, okay, like that does make sense. And uh, sometimes, like you, you, 
you think of beauty as like just kind of an ancillary thing, like oh, right. I saw a beautiful sunset today, or right, it just right. just happens. But like the, I like your 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 call to noticing the beauty and even the common things of life, right? Like the the laugh of a child, uh, you know, good conversation, right. or whatever else it might be. And it goes back to what we talked about on Wednesday show about the busyness of life just crowding out our ability to even even notice things around right. us it's it's just become we just do 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 right and uh and there is a lot also to be said like you said about like you know we in our in our western culture we value rationalism and we value uh data as you said it it reminds me uh, as i was listening to that I, I i was reminded you remember that really hard but unbelievable movie schindler's list remember that yes it, yes the one of the fascinating things about schindler's list is that it's all in uh in uh, black and white and then there's that one scene where the girl in the red dress and it's red and yes. it's the most striking thing because yes. it's beauty in the midst of this horribleness. And uh, that's what kind of I was thinking about there because, um, yeah, that was powerful, too. Like, what do what do dictators do? They remove the beauty. They right. remove the propaganda. Right. They remove that or they replace it with propaganda. Uh, no, that was really good. And what what do you think, as somebody out there going, well, what do you even mean by beauty? Like, yeah. what are you talking about? How do you, as someone who's thought a lot about this, you put it, like you said, you run something or, or involved in something called beauty in the common. So you've got this concept of beauty kind of at the forefront of your mind. Help people understand what you're talking about. Yeah, I think it's, it's way broader than just things that are pretty. I, I think that's a really important distinction because, you know, like Ralph Waldo Emerson said something like, Never miss the opportunity of seeing something beautiful for beauty is God's handwriting. And that for me has been kind of a working definition. Where do I see God's handwriting at work? Sometimes it is. It's an incredible sunset. And you're like, okay, that's beautiful. Sometimes it's watching my eldest son selflessly like try to feed his younger brother, even though he doesn't really know what he's doing. Yeah. Like the beauty yeah. of this like, yeah. oh, he already knows to protect him. Like, he already knows to like care for him. And of course- it also means applesauce all over the kitchen. Like It's not <laughs> yeah. quote unquote pretty, but to me it's beautiful. And yeah. part of the thing about beauty that I find so compelling is that one of the things that we'll say is rather than trying to convince you, we're wanting to invite you. Beauty mm-hmm. invites, you know, and there's something to be said about, you know, I read earlier somewhere that our brains are like 15 times more likely to latch on to negativity than positivity that when it comes to ugly things, our brains are like Velcro, but when it comes to beautiful things, it's like Teflon. Like it just, we don't, meditate on them we don't sit in them at all we just kind of go and go and go and i think that's part of what you know you were saying this uh, earlier that this idea that we are human doings not human beings this doing mentality beauty can feel really inefficient Mm. like why but why would god even give us the capacity to observe it why would he give us the capacity to be moved by a painting or a song or a kid looking at an ant like that doesn't have any like utilitarian purpose at all if all we were created to do is just create or do or have output what would be the point of being stirred or captivated or moved yeah. and i think in the west we've lost a lot of that and i think it, particularly for christ followers is really important for us to recapture some of that and it's uh it is interesting because even jesus right even jesus slowed down got yeah, away exactly uh i like to picture that maybe jesus you know spent some time on the hillside by himself just looking at the water just mm-hmm. <laughs> watching the sunset uh he he spent time praying. He Jesus got out of away from the hustle and the bustle, and uh, and we need to do the same, like you said, because we can we can just do and do and do and do, and then you're just stressed out and you're uh, you're not happy, and you know relationships crumble. Why? Because you're like I haven't given any thought to any of the stuff. I just right. keep doing what's in front of me. I think it's a great call, man. And I hope that's an invitation of some of some sort to 
to not think great. That's one more thing I have to add to my schedule. Not to try to find beauty, but to say, yeah. Yeah, maybe I have been going too fast. Maybe I do identify with what that guy was saying. I do feel like just like a button pusher or a pencil pusher. or some, I just feel like I'm the product of what I can produce. Uh, maybe it is worth saying right, it's time to it's time to step back and actually create margin and space to observe some of these things to to be captivated. When was the last time you just looked out a window for a half hour for no reason at all, or went for a walk not to lose calories, but to just spend time with someone that you love yep. without looking at your phone? All of that, I think, is a, that's an invitation to beauty that I think all of us uh, would do well to heed. Well, you've been listening to the Common Good right here on AM eleven sixty. Hope for your life. everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. Sometimes we talk about rants. Sometimes we'll talk about, I don't know, Domino's insurance. Yep. Yep. Uh, but as many of you probably already know, Brian and I are also pastors. And uh, as such, there's a bunch of other like organizational ministerial things that I think we deal with. And we walk through stuff that I've gone back. I don't know about you. I've gone back and read like old textbooks, things that I thought were kind of dry when I was 19, 20, 21, that I'm like, this is gold. Really? Now that I'm like Interesting. 15 years into this thing, I kind of want to go back and like shake a 19-year-old Ian and be like, pay Take attention in this class, yeah, yeah, idiot. Yeah. This is going to be really helpful just because you don't think it is now. So People probably don't know. You're still in – you're doing some grad work now. I am, yeah. You find yourself much more engaged. I know it's – Oh, distance, yes. It's distance and it's better because it's – you're in the middle of it. Are you much more engaged than you were in 1920? Yeah, because there's like real, you know, when you're, when I was doing undergrad, everything was hypothetical. Yep. It was all like yep. when you have a job yep. or when you're at a church or when you have a ministry. And it was like, oh no, I, I have mean, that. It, I'm thinking about this yep. stuff. And it, yeah, it, it's still a, a lot. Grad is a whole different, I mean, I knew that, but yeah. it's also, I haven't gone to school in a while. So it feels like knocking the rust off a, like an old tired bicycle that you haven't ridden yeah, in a while yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's that would you know. be it would be hard to go back to school right now for yeah, sure it's tough uh so this one out of the gospel coalition uh is six key practices for every board so my guess is some people listening will have no experience working with boards yep. but plenty will i think this is more applicable than just ceos or church boards or whatever but uh, i thought i thought it was actually pretty compelling so i'll read a little bit of the introduction yep. and then we'll get we'll get into the list and then uh respond says, it's easy to lose accountability at the top. That's a heck of a way to start an article, by the way. In most churches, nonprofits, and companies, a pastor or executive director or CEO or president heads up the operations. The staff report to him, and I would add, or her. In many of those organizations, the leader also influences the board. He or she reports on how things are going, offers plans for the future, and even recommends new board members. Without careful attention, a leader can begin to operate without meaningful accountability. If he loses sight of the organization's goals, nobody redirects him. If her marriage falters, no one knows about it. Without a direct line from staff to board, a CEO's incompetence or inappropriate behavior with those under him can continue indefinitely, which I think, sidebar, here in Chicagoland, this is a topic that you and I have tackled a number of times since January, right? Yeah. So the Gospel Coalition asked a longtime senior pastor, a chair of a seminary board, and a college president, some of the most accomplished in their fields, how they think biblically mm. about authority, how they keep leaders accountable, and what to do if things go sideways. So that's the that's the Great. setup. That's the so I think, and I think, like you said, there might be people there like I never deal with a board, but if you're a part of a church. There's right. probably these boards in That's place. Right. You should be asking yourself, is this how my pastor and elder board or whatever your church structure is? Is this how it relates? Like, That's right. I think 
the people outside of that need to be asking those questions as well because you want to be in a healthy place. Totally. Kick, it, kick us off with number one. Hire a leader who wants accountability. Breach. Unless the CEO, senior pastor, executive director wants to be held accountable, it's basically impossible, said Sandy Wilson, who spent 22 years as the senior pastor of Second Presbyterian Church in Memphis. Uh, he or she is the one who controls information. Uh, they have the microphone all the time. If they don't cede power to those around them, it's probably never going to happen. So living under authority, then uh, Sandy Wilson goes on to say, is a spiritual discipline. Says even the Apostle Paul, who could not have been more convinced that he was supposed to preach the gospel of the Gentiles, still went to the Jewish council in the book of Acts. Yep. He said, here's what's happening, and then deferred to them. Right. Even Peter, when he went to Cornelius, came back to Jerusalem and accounted for his actions. He didn't say, excuse me, who do you think you are? Jesus is building his church on me. He deferred to them. And so Smith goes on to say, Working under authority is deeply part of the fabric of the New Testament shared life, and that's no less true today. That is wonderful. I mean, you can think already of lack of accountability and, and so, stuff it's done in so many churches that we know. All right, number two, create accountability that strengthens a leader's authority. In January, Smith noticed that one of his vice presidents wasn't operating effectively. He told his board chair, with whom he meets regularly, about his doubts. How will you decide what to do? Ken Stankovich. Stankovich asked him. I'll monitor it over the next month and then make a decision, Smith promised, and he did. He decided that the person wasn't a good fit for the job, and then he did nothing because letting someone go is, quote, (laughs) awkward and uncomfortable and the worst. In there. Yeah. (laughs) A month later, Stankovich asked Smith about it. Is he effective? No, Smith said. What are you going to do about it, Stankovich? Pressed. In April, Smith let the person go. Ken held me accountable to do what I needed. Uh, what I needed to be wow. Well, what I needed to be done uh, and was avoiding. Boards can also catch what a leader misses. We all have blind spots, Smith said, and can lend wise advice from their areas of expertise. But perhaps the biggest way accountability lends authority is the most counterintuitive by keeping a close eye on the leader. That's really good, right? Uh, number three: regularly ask intimate and hard questions. At Reformed Theological Seminary, Chancellor uh, Ligian Duncan uh, sure. meets with his board twice a year and his executive committee monthly. On top of that, he meets with a small group of three board members almost every month. They ask about the pressures he's experiencing inside the institution and in his personal life. They ask about his marriage and children. They ask about the weight of his schedule. They pray for him. They counsel him. Uh, go back to Smith. He says also as a four-person executive committee. Uh, if a board doesn't ask the questions directly, it should make sure someone is asking them. They can find out who are your close friends. How often do you get together? Is there someone to ask if you've been viewing pornography or having marital issues? What will your friend do if you're in trouble morally or spiritually? Hmm. Uh, what would your staff do? They said that's that's an that's an important one. Who's yeah. asking the leader the hard question? Right. Number four, keep communication open between the staff and the board. Every few years, Second Presbyterian did a 360 review of Wilson, which means they asked three or four of his staff how he was doing. Have you ever been a part of a 360 review, by the way? I have. It's been a while, but they're I- uh, really helpful. But they, they can be really difficult, too. Yes. You want to do that collaboratively with the CEO, said Wilson, who provided names of those who worked closely with him and urged them to be candid. That way you don't go behind his back, which, again, a 360 review. If you don't know what that is, by the way, just Google it. I think that's a worthwhile thing to kind of read up on because I think it's so important. I'm just going to read the, the last two real quick so we have some time to respond. Yeah. Number five, board members need to be held accountable also. Every RTS mm. board member is either an elder or a deacon in his local church. I've been on boards of nonprofits where most of the members weren't under the authority of the church, RTS board chairman Richard. 
Richard Ridgway said, that was always an issue. Where's the accountability? Mm. And then lastly here, uh, number six, nurture a healthy relationship between leader and board chair. It says, I pray a lot for my wife and my kids and my grandkids and my pastor, Ridgway said, but I pray as much for Legan, Legan? Is that what said? Legan, Legan Duncan Legan, yeah. as anyone. He meets Duncan every month for breakfast. I don't want to be a doting chairman, so I give him space, Ridgway said, but he's the CEO and we have his back. Mm. Which again, I think these are things that maybe seem obvious to some, but others might be thinking, I've never thought about that particular element. Again, the common thread that I keep reading in all of these lists, though, is accountability. Right? Like holistic, loving accountability. Absolutely. And and so many of these stand out to me as somebody uh, who is a pastor and reports to an elder board. Um, I love that last one. There have been times that I have been in lockstep with my chairman, my head elder. Yeah. And there have been times I have not been. I'm sure. And it it has an effect on the entire church, the entire organization. Hmm. You you think you can hide those things, right? Like, oh, no, people won't see. It does. It it leaks down. Uh, And so that's great. And like you said, accountability is such a common theme here of like not just the pastor being accountable to people, but also the board being accountable and there's mutual right. accountability. We're heading in the same direction. I, I really, I'm, I enjoy this article. This is good and, I, and convicting. I think Lencioni said it best. He said, um, ambiguity is the enemy of accountability. Mm-hmm. This idea that if there isn't clear, concise rhythms of accountability and who reports to who and what kind of questions are asked, um, that can lead to all sorts of just sort of gray, squishy, which sometimes gets kind of touted as like, ah, no, we're organic. Yeah, we're, we're, organic. we're freeform. Yes. We're, uh, we're roll with the punches, which yep. I, I like as much as anybody. I like autonomy. I like, yeah, cool. How are you? Cool. I'm yeah. good. How are you? Yeah. Like, I think all of that is really good. And friends, at times but... can be the the right relational thing to go after. Like, yes. Let's just get lunch. Let's just hang out. Yep. But the ambiguity, though, uh, that I think Lencioni was getting after was, you know, the lack of, like they're saying, intimate questions, mm-hmm. difficult questions, really consistent rhythms of those questions, yeah. who reports to who, what are the safeguards? Like something, you know, that I learned in the 360 was that, uh, man, my team, one, really had my number. Yeah. <laughs> Some of the yeah. stuff they said, I was like, I thought I was hiding that pretty well. Yeah, like, nope. Yeah, but two, they really cared for me. Yes. They were saying hard stuff, but it was like, I was able to hear even in their written answers, like, wow, they really care about this church. Yes. And they care about me personally. Yep. And I think, yeah, it's scary to have that kind of accountability sometimes when you're not used to it. But man, it it just led so much growth for us. Absolutely. So these are good. If you're in a church, you should probably, you know, ask the elders in your church, ask the pastor, hey, can I just quickly ask you about the relationship between the elder board and the pastors or whatever going or whatever you have? And and I think, uh, you know, speed of leader, speed of the follower uh, and uh, I think when we when we understand what's going on at those who have been called to lead the church or the organization or the nonprofit, or whatever else, you're going to get a good feel for the health of all of it. So I think it's it's important questions to be asking. That's right. Well, coming up next, Brian Fromm is going to scream for six minutes straight, <laughs> and we're going to air that over the airwaves. Just kidding. No, it's interweb insanity, just nonsense that our producers have found that we have not seen. We're going to read sight unseen as a way of wrapping up the show the way we do every day. That's what's coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. Hey, everyone. That music can mean only one thing. That means the plane is being landed. We're landing. Is that fair? Is that what I'm saying? It's touching down right now. Is that even grammatically correct? But the plane is landing. Is being landed? Yeah, I'm good with that. Oh. The plane is being landed. <laughs> you ever just like say something out loud and then you're like, you doubt every word in that yeah. sentence? Every Sunday morning. <laughs> <laughs>
I've lately been like looking up words that I use a lot. And I'm yeah. like, I've been using that word wrong for a long time. <laughs> That's not what that means at all. Anyway, so the reason for the wacky music and our giggles right now is that uh, we have some stories that our producers have found. We have not seen them or read them. And there are sound effects that have been loaded that we have not heard. We're going to read them sight unseen. It's hilarity and insanity. Brian's going first. North Carolina. Oh. North Carolina police apologize for stuffed black dreadlock wearing monkey in back of patrol car. Wait, what? This feels like it's going to go poorly. Oh, boy. Again, did we mention that we didn't pick these? It's probably worth saying I mean, again. our name is on the show, I know, but oh, Winston-Salem boy. police chief apologized this week after a Facebook post showed officers driving with a stuffed dreadlock monkey in the back of their patrol car. According to the Winston-Salem Journal, the person who took the video and posted on Facebook called it the most racist thing I've ever uh, seen. In the future, we will confirm our stuffed animals are not offensive. I apologize to any community member that found this circumstance to be offensive. That's racist, man. Yeah, that's just straight ignorant, dog. You you pull out of that story quick. I, really I can just see you skipping paragraphs. Like talk no, about that one no, later. thank you. Okay, Florida here to save the day. Thank you. Fisherman lost at sea says he was assaulted by mermaids. This is, I think, the most Florida story. <laughs> a fisherman was lost at sea for 14 days off the coast of Florida and claims mermaids assaulted him, which is not in the nature of mermaids in the first place. Uh, it's a mermaid type Alvin of thing. Alvin McAllister, who is Kevin's older brother, is 72 <laughs> years old and was discovered on a tiny rocky islet. 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 About 200 miles <laughs> off the nearest coastline uh, where his ship wrecked. I've never even heard that sentence before. McAllister was on the island for about two weeks and survived off of seagulls, mussels, and urchins. The man was suffering from various health issues, including hallucinations, mm-hmm. there it is, caused by dehydration and toxins from the mussels he ate. When McAllister claimed the uh, assault by the mythical creatures, his mental health was not well from being malnourished and ingesting toxins. McAllister is expected, though, to make a full recovery in the coming weeks. Up where they walk, yeah. up where they <laughs> yeah. run, up where they Sing stay. It. Sing it, Brian. You know it. Get all the there it is. Yeah, keep going. Wish I could be. Oh, so good. Part of that world. Wow. That was impressive. Yes, I have daughters, man. I've watched that movie many I times. I have daughters. Uh, England, motorists are being sent on a 41-mile diversion because of a 65-foot stretch of road work. Oh, the wow. The small section of A352 in Godmanstone, Dorset. Will be closed between Monday and Friday next week for work on a sewage system. Just over 65 <laughs> feet of the carriageway will be closed off by workmen, but Dorset County Council have given an official diversion measuring an incredible 41 miles that goes via another county. Oh my the goodness. council says the lengthy detour is necessary as it has to be suitable for the type of traffic that would normally use the closed section. However, local residents have disagreed and say the route is ridiculous. Heather Chapman, who runs Green Valley Yurts near the closure, <laughs> said it's just crazy and there doesn't seem to be any logic to it. It can't mean that. There's a lake there. I think it knows where it is going. This is the, the machine knows. This is the lake. Stop yelling at me. No, it's not yelling. There's no lake here. That's the office. Yeah, it is yeah. the office. I just want Heather Chapman to know we feel your pain, the by yurts. the way. Oh, boy. I'm just looking at the picture this of this one. Bad. Missouri inmate has surgery to remove smuggled item from his body. I don't like where this is going at all. A male (laughs) inmate at the Jefferson County Jail had to have surgery to remove a smuggled item from his body Wednesday. The item was detected by corrections officers using a body scanner at the jail. 
The body scanner was recently installed at the jail as a part of Sheriff Dave Marshak's push for use of new technologies by the Sheriff's Department. The object removed contained a white powder that is being analyzed. Okay. Marshak <laughs> praised the officers for their work in protecting themselves, the inmate, and the jail population. I understand you're a man that knows how to get things. <laughs> I'm known to locate certain things time to time. <laughs> yeah, it's probably flour. He's probably smuggling flour because he really likes so, to bake. I'm so uncomfortable by the picture, the x-ray picture that's in there. Well, I can't explain to you all how <laughs> jarring it try. is to flip a page over and to have an x-ray with a, cir- a red circle. You know what? I'll let you just guess. I'll let you guess where the circle is. This is one of those cases where, where we need to share circle. the disclaimer one more time. Russia. Oh, boy. Last one. This was We're going to get shut down with this one. <laughs> <laughs> Melting glaciers in the Russian Arctic reveal five new islands. Oh, that's nice. Or islands. Uh, <laughs> is this an islet joke again? I can't the, read. The Russian Navy has discovered five new islands in the Arctic after they were revealed by melting glaciers. See, good things about climate change here. The oh, Navy, no. <laughs> the Navy first spotted oh, the islands in 2016 using satellite imagery, but only confirmed and mapped them in August and September during an expedition to the site. The new islands are located near the Vilki Glacier off the coast of the remote Novaya Zemlya Archipelago, which lies in the Arctic Ocean northwest of the Russian mainland. Basically, this discovery is associated with the melting ice. Previously, these were glaciers, but the melting of the ice led to the islands emerging. So you're saying warming makes it colder. Well, aren't you the queen of crazy land? Everything's the opposite of everything. La-di-da-di-da. Okay, just so everyone knows, <laughs> it's climate change, not global warming. So, just so we're all on the same page, we're going to tackle that next week. I'm not going to. I'm going to let that one go. I'm let that one go. <laughs> well, it's the end of the week, and uh, Brian and I may or may not be invited back next week. <laughs> not uh, hopefully, segment. hopefully, you'll join us four to six p.m. every day right here on the Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. 